So we've started into this journey of, of the revived life, of what does it look like uh, to be revived. Um, and so we, we started with this picture of, of God being seated on his throne, and we started with the question of who is on the throne of your life. We then looked at honesty um, and, and getting honest with ourselves and with God and, and took that wonderful, complete spiritual that I'm sure we all have gone back to multiple times in the last couple of days to be like, yes, I'm a complete and utter failure. Um, and, and realize again and again that, man, I, I, I can't do this life on my own. Um, and then we looked last night at this idea of humility. And we saw how the, the seeds of pride can just get in and then cause these weeds to grow that then choke out the truth of God's word. Well, tonight I want us to talk about the grace life. But we're going to look at this idea of, of grace for our lives. Now, this to me is probably my favorite message of the entire week. Because for me, I missed this whole idea of grace growing up. I grew up in the church all my life since I was negative nine months old. You do the math. Um, and, and growing up as a kid and even as a teenager, um, I had a drug problem. I know some of you are like, whoa, time out, that's a little too much honesty. No, listen, I was drugged to church Sunday morning. I was drugged to church Sunday night. I was there Tuesday night for visitation, Wednesday night church. Thursday night was choir practice. So I mean, like almost every night of the week we were at church, I was drugged there. See what I did? Okay, good. Appreciate that. Um, but man, I missed something in my growing up. I missed something in God's word. And that's where tonight steps in. Isaiah 6, 7, uh, this is after Isaiah's confession. And, and the, the angel comes to him with the, with the fiery uh, coal from the furnace. And he, and he touches his lips and he says, This coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. This is this picture of grace, that grace is the forgiveness of our sins, but not just the forgiveness of our sins, but also the removal of our guilt. Man, what an amazing picture of grace. I love Hebrews 4.16. It says that we can approach the throne of grace with fear and trembling, right? We can approach the throne of grace with groveling and begging, right? No, it says we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. We can come in knowing that we're God's children and we can approach in and we can say, God, listen, this is what's going on in my life and I need your grace. See, here's the thing. We, we all need it and we can't live without it, but you can't purchase it. And it's definitely not on Amazon Prime. It's not going to get shipped to your house. And here's the thing. You can't earn it. It only comes by means of a gift. Cue gift. Gotta love the object lessons, right? When you receive it, you immediately realize how much you needed it all along. And then you wonder how you could have ever lived without it. I'm talking about grace. Grace is that gift. Paul David Tripp says this, in a fallen world populated by selfish, lost, fearful, and rebellious people, does that sound like our world? Does it sound sometimes like us? It is the one thing that everyone needs. Everyone needs grace. You can only give it to someone else when you have first been given it. 
when you have first received it, God's grace is the most powerful force in the entire universe. It reaches us where we are and takes us to where God wants us to be. It is a transforming power that moves from the inside out. It transforms us at the core of who we are in our hearts. It's not about behavior modification. That's religion. Grace is about a relationship that begins to move inside of us. Grace is God's gift to us. God sent his son to earth because he loves us. John 3, 16. Jesus came to earth to show us how to live in in a relationship with the Father, but also to pay the price for our disobedience. There's three types of grace that most theologians can agree on. Um, and, and I would say we agree on this uh, in, in the Baptist faith as well. And that is this, the first type of grace is saving grace. It's justification, just as if I had never sinned. And I think we could all agree that, man, yes, I need that grace. I got that grace as an eight-year-old little boy. I received the grace of God. Um, this is grace coming towards us. Now, I used to, I used to think about this and man, I I would have to scour passages and, you know, you could pull passages from here and passages from there to, to look at these graces. But then I found in Titus chapter two, Titus chapter two shows us all three of these graces in one section. Like I'm like, how did I miss this? Have you ever read the Bible? Like, and you read a passage and you read a passage and then one day you read it and you're like, where has this been? Like, How did I miss this nugget? Like, how did I miss this stuff? The Bible is amazing. I encourage you, if you're not reading it daily, man, get into it. Fall in love with it. Make it a part of your life. But look at this in Titus 2.11. It says this, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all. That is our saving grace. This is God's grace towards us. We understand that this grace only comes through faith. It's not through works. I can't earn it. I can't do anything to get more of it. And if I can't earn it and do anything to get more of it, guess what? The opposite is true as well. I can't do anything to lose it because it's not about what I have done. It's about what he has done. The saving grace of God. Oh, I got that. That is easy. Here's the second grace, sustaining grace. We would would call this as a big fancy word, sanctification. Sanctifying grace, the setting apart, the making holy. Uh, This is the grace that I missed as a Christian. I grew up in the the Baptist faith, and so I remember coming down to the altar like almost every single Sunday after the pastor was preaching, I felt like he had been walking with me all week long. Anybody else ever been there before? Like, you're like, dude, does he have a camera? Is he watching me? Has he got spies? Like, what's happening? And I would walk down to the front, and I would kneel, and I'd be like, God, I'm so messed up. God, would you please forgive me? And then I'd get up, and I'd live my life the way I wanted to live my life that week, knowing in my head I could confess any sin I wanted to. I'm saved. I have my fire insurance. But I was missing the power of the Christian life. I was missing the sustaining grace. Look at Titus 2.12. I told you this is such a cool passage. You ready? And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, 
righteousness, and devotion to God. Do you realize that unbelievers do not have the power to not sin? But as believers, we do. We have the power because we're instructed to turn from godless living and to then turn from the sinful pleasures. And the only way we do that is through this sanctifying grace, this this grace that comes in and gives us the power to obey God and do what he said to do. It's a beautiful thing. This is God's grace working in us, working on the inside to purify my thoughts and the intentions of my heart. But so many times I missed this grace of working inside of me. But the third grace is one that I definitely look forward to, and that is eternal grace. The glorification. Aren't we all looking forward to that glorified body? Hoping I look a little more like Vin Diesel. Maybe not as pudgy around this area. Maybe put some six packs in there. Maybe it could look good bald. I mean, went to Albert today and got a nice haircut. Spent an hour and a half in his chair loving that ministry and being there with him and hearing his heart and his story, meeting some of the guys that are there. Wow, what a blessing he is. And the ministry that he has to guys who, if I were to try to minister to them, they might beat me up. But man, this eternal glorifying grace, look at, Titus 2, 13 and 14. While, so we're turning from these sinful desires, we're turning away from sin, while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Eternal glory. Man, I got that. I'm looking forward to that day. I can't wait for the heavenly smorgasbord and knowing that I can eat it and not put on a pound. Listen, eating every lunch and dinner in churches is not good for weight loss. It's great for retail stores because you got to go and buy new clothes all the time. But it is not good for me. You know, I think I said this before, I'm on a temple expansion project. You know, I mean, God's still working on me. I'm just giving the Holy Spirit more room to live in. But man, this this glorifying body, that's what I I look forward to. Oh man, I get a glorified body. Listen, y'all, it's going to be more than a glorified body and an an unrelenting table of food. We're going to be able to be in the presence of our Savior every single day. If you're not excited about that, be excited about this. There's no preaching in heaven. Amen, right? It's going to be an eternal worship service. We don't have to try to picture God in our minds when we're worshiping. He's going to be right there. And we get to worship him in spirit and in truth. Man, I can't wait for that day. But there's, a, there's something that I missed between salvation and eternity. And that's that sanctifying grace. See, here's the problem. We've done one of two things. We gladly accept saving grace and we look forward to eternal grace, but we, we live between these two graces telling God, I got this. I, I can do the Christian life. We, we've cheapened grace by telling God, God, I, I can handle this all my own. God, God I, I will just come and ask for forgiveness. I can live how I want to Monday through Saturday 
and then I'll come back to church on Sunday and I'll ask you to forgive me. It's a works-based grace. I can do whatever I want to and God has to forgive me. Well, true, because scripture says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Remember we looked at this? But is that what the Christian life is supposed to be about? Is it, is it so that we can live however we want to? We've cheapened grace or we've inflated grace. We can't do enough to get it. We just think, man, if I, if I could just do more, if I could, could just go you know, on, the, on the mission trip to Africa, then man, I can earn more grace or I can get more grace. Or if I, if I come to church more often, or listen, church is having this eight-day thing. If I'll just come every single night, I'll get more grace. No, I mean, it's not about that. We've, we've inflated grace thinking that it all depends on who? Me. We talked about that last night, right? Just checking to make sure that last night was pride. Yeah. We've made grace transactional. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, not when you did or you didn't do. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. None of us can boast about this grace. Grace is God's gift to you and to I, even if the gift looks like it's ridden in a truck for the last several weeks. It's still a gift from God. It's grace. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says this. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. Who's working in you? Did you catch that? It's God who's at work in me. It's not me doing this this great Christian life thing. Oh, how freeing is that, church? That means I just, I got to get out of the way and just say, God, here I am. Whatever you want me to do, I'm yours. My life is yours. My breath is yours. My thoughts are yours. My words are yours. My actions are yours. My deeds are yours. Because it's all about you and it's all for you because it is you working in me to do what? Giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's sanctifying grace. The grace of God actively working in us to give us the desire and the power to obey. We think that this Christian life depends on us. Well, God, I've believed in you. I've asked you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins. I've put you on the throne of my life. But from here on out, I got this. I can take care of this. I, I, can, I can do this life. It depends on us. It's about my will. It's about my works. It's about my glory. It's about my good pleasures. It's about me, God. And we strive and we struggle and we try harder. And what happens? We keep failing, don't we? So we end up quitting. We walk away saying, I, I can't do this. And you're exactly right. You can't. The Christian life is impossible without God. It's impossible without grace. We can never repay God 
enough for saving grace. We, we, we have to get rid of this total independence and say, I got this. We got to quit doing that. I think about our oldest daughter. Um, oh, my word. Lord bless her and love her. She's 21 and still has this attitude. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's a detriment. I got this. You ever had a kid who said that to you? Or have you ever thought or said that? So um, Abby was probably three uh, because Hannah was still a baby and Jen was carrying her. We were at a youth camp down in uh, the Pensacola area of Florida. And so we're at the beach at Destin. And uh, there's this, I don't, you guys probably don't have beaches here like this. Um, just kidding, because ours have salt water and sharks. I'd rather have your beaches. Even if the water is cold, they don't have sharks in them, okay? Um, but like there's this, this thing at the beach where you've got the water and you've got sand and then you have this thing called a slough where the, like the beach water comes in and it kind of erodes and makes this nice little river thing. And then you got sand. And so Jen is walking with the girls. I'm hanging out with the youth, worshiping and praising Jesus. And she's being rebellious and walking with the girls. Just kidding. She was keeping them out of trouble and letting us focus. And she was loving God and, and out there. And all of a sudden they're walking next to the slough and Abby just yanks her hand out of Jen's hand and runs into this slough. Well, the slough's probably a good three, four feet deep. And Abby's about this big. And by the time Jen realizes what's happening, Abby's in the bottom of the slough, looking up. Jen, like, like gently sets Hannah down ever so softly in the sand. Not really. Guaranteed she probably dropped her and just dove. <laughs> Grabs Abby, pulls her up out of this water, and here's what Abby says to her. Put me down. I simmon. Baby, you're not swimming. That's called drowning. Like there was no swim to that. It was like sink like a rock. How many times do we do that with God? We yank our hand out of his hand and we run full on into danger, into something. And then he comes to the rescue and we tell him, I got this, God. You got me out of the danger. I can handle it from here. I got this. We don't need God when life is good. We only call on him when we're in the valleys. But church, I got to tell you something. We need God every day. We need God when we wake up in the morning. We need God when we brush our teeth. We need God when we get dressed. We need God when we're sitting in traffic. Amen? Because that person who cut us off needs the grace of God. Like they should know how gracious I am. Right? That I didn't lay on the horn. I didn't holler at them. I didn't, you know, say nice things about them. People, I wish they just knew how much grace we actually showed them. If we can't live the Christian life in a consistent way, if we, if we constantly fail, then what, what are we supposed to do? Now what in this idea? I mean, this is great that God's on my throne and, and I've, I've become honest with him. I've become humble with him. I, I get all of that, but I'm still failing on the daily. What do we do? First step is this, agree with God. Agree with God in humility. This verse was used last night in our video. James 4, 6 says this, and he gracious. And he gives grace generously. Anybody here need grace generously? Okay, good. There's a few of you. More of you will play along in just a moment, I'm sure. Okay, great. Thanks. 
He gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We need to agree with God in humility that God, I I need you. I don't have this. Because God's up there going, I know you don't have this. You can't do this without me. You need my help. Do you need grace? Then we need humility. Second thing is this, acknowledge your need. Acknowledge your need. We, we all have a need, but man, it takes, it takes someone to finally say, you know what, I, I do need help. I, I need someone who knows what's going on, someone who has the right perspective, someone who has the strength. I need someone who can help me. Acknowledge that with God. Look at Romans 5, 2. It says this, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. That's grace. Grace is undeserved privilege. We do not deserve to come into the presence of God. And look, he says this, where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Christ has brought us into this grace of God and into this knowledge that we need him. But man, there's some things in life that God causes to come our way. Two things. What causes us to know our need? Two things. The first thing is situations. Now, Paul wrote an amazing book on grace. The book of Romans. When he wrote a letter to the church at Rome, And in Romans chapter five, he begins to set out this this beautiful thing. He talks about the the eternal grace. He talks about the saving grace. And then he goes on in verses three and five, and he says this. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Anybody else have a problem with that? We what? We complain more, right? Like we moan and we groan and we want other people to moan and groan with us. Why? Because misery loves company. Absolutely. If I'm miserable, I want you to be miserable. So you're going to listen to me complain. Now look at what it says. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Why? The grace of God is within us, giving us the ability and the power and the desire to rejoice in the middle of our trials. Because why? They help us to develop endurance. Perseverance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Verse 5, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. Because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Situations, suffering, trials, they show us what's on the inside. Side, They show us what we are made of in those hard times. When life comes and starts squeezing us, we begin to see what's on the inside. Do we really believe that God is who he says he is? Do we really believe that he will do what he says he will do? It's, it's these hard times that we usually cry out to God, God, I need you, right? When we're in the middle of the valley, when we're in the middle of the trial, that's where we really go, yes, God, I need you, I get this. I don't have this one. I need your help. What are you going through right now in your life? What valley are you in? Or what valley have you just come out of? Or what valley are you about to go into? Because guess what? You're in one of those three places. 
You're either getting ready to step into the valley or you're in the middle of the valley or you're on the back end of the valley. But you're about to be in a valley at some point. We've all been there. But the question is, in the middle of that, when we're there, are we crying out to God? Do we rejoice in those valleys? Or do we simply moan and groan and complain? Because it's in the rejoicing that we find the Spirit of God showing us what he's wanting to teach us, how he's wanting to mold us and to make us. I stumbled across a, a video this morning, and I highly recommend it. Go, go out and look at these guys. They're called the Skit Guys. They're out of Texas. And like 10 years ago, they did this, um, this, this whole thing of, called, called the chisel. And it's God chiseling on this guy who's just getting the rough spots off and turning him more and more into the, into the likeness of his son. And it's this great dialogue of life. Man, if you get an opportunity to go home and, and watch it, search it up, it, it's this great show of God's grace in our lives to chisel and work in those hard moments, to make us more into the image of his son. But it's not just situations that show us our need. It's sins. Sins. Sins show us our need for God's grace in our life. Paul goes on to write in Romans chapter 6. I love this. See, this is what I missed as as a teenager and as a college student and even as a young adult. It says this, Romans 6, 1 through 2. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that grace, God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Should I just keep living life the way I want to, knowing that I can come back and say, God, would you forgive me? Give me your grace to cover this sin. Thank you, Lord. And then go back out. This is what he says. Of course not. I love one translation. It says, may it never be so. Would we just stop sinning? Look at this. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? If you're a believer here tonight, you're dead to sin. Did you catch that? Sin is dead to you. So why are we continuing to live in it? Why are we continuing to walk in it? God has given us his grace. Look at this, verses three and four. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also say, continue to live your old life. Isn't that what we say? Some of you all of a sudden are like, wait a minute, what did he just say? Like you just woke up in that moment, okay? Now listen, when, when pastor, well, I don't know if Chad does this, but I do this when I baptize people. I'm like, buried with him in death and raised to walk in newness of life. We were in Raytown, Missouri uh, in, the, in the fall. And, and I remember we, we met this lady, Caroline. And it was on this night um, we, we met and the, we had the prayer room open and people were back there praying. And her and her husband were just kind of standing outside the room. And so I was like, hey, c- come in. And she's like, mm, no, I, I can't. So I said, all right, I'm going to come out to you. That's fine. I, I'll come to you. And we started talking and she's like, I, I'm not a Christian. Okay, she says, I think I'm a follower of Satan. Well, that'll get your attention real quick. I said, all right. We started talking and 
I mean, we started talking in circles by the time she was done. I mean, I think an hour and a half conversation and it, we were just kept circling around like, you know, and I finally asked her, I said, listen, if Jesus is standing right in front of you right now and he said, Caroline, what do you want from me? What would you say? She said, I'd say, I want you to love me. It's a good news, Carolyn. He already does. She said, I'm not ready to trust Jesus yet. I just don't want to do this flippantly. I don't want to do this because everybody else is doing this. All right, I said, well, I'm going to pray for you, Carolyn, but you're not going to like what I'm going to pray. She said, what are you going to pray? I said, we're going to pray in just a second. You're going to hear me, but this is what I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to not allow you to sleep tonight. That he'll continue to pursue you with his love. And that tomorrow when you go to work, you can't stop thinking about God's love in your life. And she was like, oh, okay. So we prayed her. Her husband was a believer. So we prayed and she went home. I saw her back Wednesday night at church. It was kind of neat. She was sitting back over here in the church. It was a rather large church. So she's sitting back over here and service got over and she like stood up and like was trying to bolt out the door real quick. And like six people caught her on the way out the door. Like she couldn't get that far from her seat. And I just happened to walk up and I said, hey, Caroline. She's like, she said, I was trying to get away from you. I said, I know. I said, how was your day? She goes, horrible. She said, I don't like you very much. I said, it's okay. I love you, Caroline. And you know what? God loves you too. I said, why was your day so bad? She said, I couldn't stop thinking about God's love. Good. But I'm not ready yet. Caroline, I'm going to tell you something. You're going to get the Heisman Trophy Award for guarding your heart from God. You're keeping God at arm's length. You're guarding your heart because you don't want him to hurt you. But guess what? He loves you no matter what. I'm praying for you. I said, do you want me to stop praying? She said, no, please don't. Okay. Thursday morning came for ladies' lunch, and she works in an office full of ladies. She went to her boss, and she said, hey, so at my church, they're doing this ladies' luncheon thing today. And um, Is it okay if I invite the ladies from the office here to go to lunch with me? Because I'd like to go, and I'd like to take some of them. And her boss said, absolutely, let's all go. She filled up two tables for ladies' lunch. Saw her that night at church Thursday night. I said, how are you doing? She said, good. I like brought all these ladies from my office to ladies' lunch. And she said, maybe I am a believer. I just haven't said it yet. Well, you're definitely a great evangelist. Still wasn't ready to accept Christ. Sunday morning came, service, invitation, stepped down off the the platform and I'm sitting over here and I just happened to look over my left shoulder where she was sitting. Hands go straight to her face and she's sobbing. I just knew what God was doing in that moment. She stepped out of her chair, ran down the aisle and came to me and gave me the biggest hug. She said, I put up a good fight, but I lost. And I said, Caroline, it's the best fight you could ever lose. It's to lose for Jesus. She gave her heart to the Lord a couple months later. It was time for baptism at the church and she wasn't sure she was gonna go through it and then she ended up getting baptized and the pastor sent me the video and then so did Caroline. They both sent me this video and they tell the story about how she accepted Christ at the, at the summit when we were there and he baptizes her and he says, buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. She comes up out of the water and goes, woo! Thank you, Jesus. Son, I'm going to tell you right now, who else can I share God with? 
Because if they can get that excited about it, I want to be that excited about it. I need to remember that I am walking in the same newness of life that Caroline has. But I get stuck in my sin because I don't accept the grace of God to keep me from that. This part of grace we miss out on. The power, the will, and the desire to no longer be enslaved to sin. When I am tempted, God gives me the grace to say no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I memorized this as a middle school boy. No temptation is overtaking you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle, but along with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you may stand up under it and endure it. And so many times when I get tempted, church temptation is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation is the sin. So many times, can I tell you, when I'm facing temptation, I'm not looking for that escape hatch. I'm not looking for the power and the grace of God in my life to escape that sin. The third thing that we need to do is to abide in Christ. To understand this grace life, we we need to then abide in Christ. In Christ, and this is an interesting word um, that Jesus used in John 15, verses 4 and 5. We don't quite understand this abide thing really well, so Jesus puts it together in a picture. Abide in me and I in you. Okay, we'll unpack this a little bit more on Sunday morning. This, What does this life of Christ look like in us? He says this, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Too many times as Christians, we're living our life going, God, I got this, separated from the branch as a whole, separated from the vine, going, I'm going to bear fruit on my own. I got this, God, watch this. Have you ever seen a branch that you've cut off of a tree bear any fruit or any leaves? No, they're dead at that point. And Jesus says, listen, if you want to bear fruit, that is the goal of the Christian life, to bear fruit. What kind of fruit? Well, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I missed one in there somewhere. I might have. Go look it up. Fact check me. Listen. Goes on and he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We can bear fruit if we abide in Christ. A, a saying that, that I learned from a good friend of mine, and I saw this on one of, my, uh, on one of our former team members last year when we were at camp, um, she had this tattoo that said G-I-N-Y. And I was looking at her and I was like, your name's not Jenny. Is that your mom's name? She goes, oh no, that's not my mom's name. It's just a reminder. So, so we as Christians need to simply say Jenny. You're like, what does that mean? Well, as any good Baptist, it's an acrostic. Okay, we're, we're great with these things. I remember our church in Georgia was, uh, you know, we, we were doing some expansion and some building, and so they put this sign out front that said, please excuse the mud, M period, U period, D period, ministry under development. And I thought, seriously? 
Like, let's get an acrostic for everything. But I love this one. You ready? This is what Jenny stands for. God, I need you. God, I need you. We all want the blessings of God, but there's a process to that. We all want a life of blessing. We want God's hand on us. We want his, his active work inside of us. But there's, there's something that we have to do first. We have to obey. We have to have a life of obedience to God. In order to receive the blessing of God, we've got to do what God says. Anybody struggle with that fact? Okay, good. So do I. I struggle with obeying God sometimes. So what do I need to help me obey? I need the desire and the power to obey. Well, we've already talked about this, right? The desire and the power to obey is the grace of God in our lives. That as Christians, we have God's grace to to continue to sanctify us and help us to survive in this life. He gives us the power and the desire to obey, and therefore we get the blessings. Well, How do we get grace? Who gets grace? Those who are humble. We get grace by being humble. What keeps us humble? Sin and situations. Help us to remember, I don't got this. I don't have what I think I need. Are there any EMTs in the room? Or any former EMTs? Not that I'm having a heart attack or anything. Okay? Don't, don't panic or freak out. Some of you are like, seriously, does he have? No. Here's the thing. The grace of God, the gift of God, is much like an ambulance. EMTs don't go door to door and go, excuse me, anybody here need life-saving you know, work? Does anybody here, anybody here having a heart attack? Anybody here need a defibrillator? Nope, okay, good. And then they go to the next door and they knock on it. Excuse me, anybody here having a heart attack? Anybody here choking, dying, anything? Okay, nope. They don't do that, do they? When do the EMTs show up? When you call them? When you dial 911 and say, help, I need help. The grace of God is like an ambulance that races to the scene of our needs. That when we realize that, God, I need you, his ambulance comes running. It it, it comes pulling into our lives with the power and the desire to obey and to do what God's asked us to do. That's the grace of God. Are you going through something tonight? Are you struggling? Do you have a prodigal child or grandchild? God, I need you. Did you get news from a doctor? that you didn't want to hear. God, I I need you. Are you having marriage issues? God, I I need you. Are are there financial issues going on? God, I need you. Are, Are there things at work that are just not going the way you thought they should go? God, I need you. Are you having issues with with people that you work with? God, I, I need you. Are you dealing with some sin in your life? Something that maybe is is habitual for you. You keep going back to that same thing and you keep finding yourself like I did saying, God, would you please forgive me again? God, I need you. Are you you dealing with with an affair, maybe emotional or physical? God, I I need you. Do you have have a problem with pornography or lust or cussing or gossiping? God, I need you. Tonight, would you simply say to God, God, I need you. I don't know what's happening in your life. 
Do you need God? Do you need his power? Do you need his grace? Do you need his mercy? Do you need his presence? Then simply say, God, I need you. Tonight's invitation is going to be real simple. It's not going to be a come forward thing. And it's not another worksheet. I know some of you are like really thankful for that. You're like, thank you, Jesus. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to step back. And if you're going through something in your life right now that you need the grace of God, I'm going to ask that you just stand where you are and say out loud, God, I need you. Do you need God tonight in your life? Then would you call out to him? God, you've heard heard our cries. You've heard our declarations. God, thank you that you are a faithful and just and loving God. That, Lord, you you don't just leave us in the middle of of our stuff. You don't leave us in the middle of the situations and our sins. But, God, you will come in and rescue us. Thank you, God, that just like Peter, when he was walking on the water and he began to look at the, the waves and the situations and the things around him and, and he began to sink and he cried out, God, I need you. You didn't step in with a lecture. You didn't give him a sermon. You didn't tell him what he did wrong. God, you, you immediately reached out your hand and you picked him up. God, we have sometimes so little faith. God, would you just continue to step into this moment? Lord, would you begin to set us free? Would you help us to see? God, this needs to be the cry of our hearts so many times throughout our day. God, would this be upon our lips when we wake up? Would it be in our, on our lips as we, we leave our homes? Would it be on our lips as we, we go to work? Would it be on our lips as we're, we're in the marketplace? Would it be on our lips as we're eating dinner with our family? Would it be on our lips as we're going through life? Would it be on our lips as we go to bed? God, I need you. Thank you, Lord, for coming to our rescue. Thank you for giving us what we desperately need to live this Christian life.